Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. You're listening to a teaching message by Vintage Church in Harker Heights, Texas. Whenever and wherever you are listening to this, our hope is that you are encouraged and challenged by this message and that you are inspired to take your next step with Jesus. For more information, please visit us at vintage.church or follow us on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back. Week five of a series we started, can you believe it, five weeks ago. We're together as a spiritual family. We're studying through the New Testament books of First and Second Thessalonians. These are Paul's letters to this young, vibrant church that was literally uh, living in incredibly uncertain, tense times and certainly a toxic Culture. If you're visiting with us for the first time, you've missed four previous weeks. I want to encourage you to go back. You can do that by downloading the Vintage Church app wherever you buy your apps from. You can just uh, type in Vintage Church TX and the app will pull right up. I want to encourage you to download that. You can watch past messages. Also stay up to date on everything happening at the church. We're also in week five of our small group study. Our small groups here at Vintage Church actually follow the weekly message. And so we take the content. We dig a little bit deeper. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, join a small group. You will not regret it. You can join in person or digitally wherever you are. Well, like I said, we've been in this series. We're continuing our study of Thessalonians. And last week, we started talking about uh, the end times. We're going to continue that this week. And we're going to jump to the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be primarily in chapter Two in a message entitled Spiritual Courage. Spiritual Courage. So last week we talked about spiritual hope. In other words, Paul admonishes this early church at Thessalonica to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus as their hope, to live their life as if Jesus could return at any moment. Today we're going to shift from spiritual hope to what spiritual courage looks like as we continue with the second letter to this church. So we come on the scene. It's Paul's second letter. The Christians in Thessalonica are really, really distraught. There's a false teaching that's circulating that's telling them, hey guys, you missed the boat. The second of coming of Christ has already happened. You're in the tribulation. You missed it. The believers here are super freaked out. They're confused. They're concerned about the rapture and the coming of Christ. And so Paul writes this second letter to just kind of encourage them, brings them back to the truth. How many of y'all know we need truth in our life? We need truth because sometimes we can let we can let lies, we can let falsehoods, we can let uh, it, it, it can cloud us and cause us to fear. But when we have truth, we can walk boldly in faith. That's Paul's goal in writing really first and Thess- second Thessalonians. His goal is to encourage this young church to not be unshaken in their hope of Christ's return. His passion was to see them living above the adversities and the trials in their culture. And I really have the same passion for you as well. I believe everything that he's, he's covering, the Apostle Paul's covering in Thessalonians is a great blessing uh, to us, especially in the times we live in. So today, we're going to answer three questions, rather three more questions about the end times. Last week, we answered three. This week, we're going to answer three around this idea of spiritual courage. The first question that we're going to address is, what is the day of the Lord? What is the 
the day of the Lord. When you read the Bible through and through, you'll see this day mentioned uh, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It speaks to a day that's coming when our whole world system is going to change. When the age of God's grace is going to come to an end, Paul talks about this day in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He says, Now, brethren, concerning, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if us, as though the day of, the, of Christ had come. In other words, he's writing this letter to encourage them, like the day hasn't come yet, guys, but he talks about this day of Christ, also known in scripture as the day of the Lord. Just as a day has daytime and nighttime, the day of the Lord has a season of light and a season of darkness. So the day of the Lord is twofold. The season of light would be known as the age of grace. That's where we live right now. It began at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus ascended. He brought his spirit to reside in each one of us. He poured out his spirit and the local church was born. That started, right, the age of grace. Right now, we're living in a season of harvest where anyone, no matter what their past is, no matter what's going on in their life, when they surrender to Christ, they can be born again by the power of the Spirit. We see the, the truth of God's Word and the community we share in the local church. However, this age of grace comes to an abrupt end when the rapture happens. The rapture, when the church is raptured, the spirit of God and the truth of God go with the church and the world is left without either. That's when the night begins, the nighttime of that day. We live now in the church age, which is also another name for the age of grace. But after the rapture, the age of judgment begins. This is the great tribulation period on earth. It's here that we see wrath is poured out in several judgments, the seal, the trumpet, and the bold judgments. We can read about that in the book of Revelation. As a whole, though, this is important, as a whole, the day of the Lord is a season of God's grace, listen to this, followed by a season of his justice. It's a season of God's grace followed by a season of his justice. Remember, God is loving, but he's also just. He's gracious, but he's also righteous. The scriptures in the Old Testament speak frequently of the day of the Lord. One place is in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. It speaks both of the daytime and the nighttime of the day of the Lord. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim, look at this, the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. His passage speaks of two components of the day of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is the age of grace, and the day of vengeance is the age of justice. You might recognize the Isaiah passage there as a passage that Jesus, when, when in the temple, spoke of as a prophecy of himself in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus revealed his purpose in coming the first time when he reads from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Look at this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Notice here, when Jesus quotes it, he ends at the acceptable year of the Lord. He doesn't speak of the day of vengeance. That's Why is that? Because when Jesus came to earth the first time, he came as the light of the world. He came to bring salvation. He's full of grace and truth. God is loving, but the day will come when he will answer the injustice in our world. I don't know if you've ever looked around at culture, you've ever looked around at the things happening in our world and thought to yourself, that is so unjust. I don't know if you've, maybe you've personally been a part of something where something happened to you that was unjust but never answered for. There's coming a time when Jesus returns the second time, right, to make right everything that's unjust in our world once and for all. The great tribulation is about what happens to those who have rejected God's grace, they will experience his wrath. Now, I want to clarify here, this is important. The day of the Lord is twofold. It began at the first coming of Christ when he came down from heaven and took on flesh and walked among us. This age of grace, however, comes to an end at the rapture. The rapture initiates this great tribulation period on earth. The nighttime of the day of the Lord concludes as the tribulation comes to a close when Christ returns all the way to earth. And so this obviously leads us to the next question that Paul answers. What happens during the tribulation? All right, so the rapture happens, the tribulation starts. But what about the tribulation, pastor? Paul answers it in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 6. He says, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and, uh, and every, uh, defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he is himself God. Don't, remem- don't you remember what I told you about all of this when I was with you? I love this in verse six. And you know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when this time comes. So the day spoken of in verse 3 is the second coming of Christ. And Paul tells us three events happen in the tribulation period once the church is raptured. The first thing that happens is the falling away. There's a great rebellion against God, a falling away. We can look around the world right now and we can see that's already started. There is a great falling away away. Doesn't it seem like the world is turning upside down? What's impure is being called pure. What's right is being called wrong and wrong is being called right. The falling away has already begun. So there's going to be a falling away. The Greek word here is apostasia. It's the English word for apostasy. That's a complete defection from the truth. And as a result of this absence of truth, as a result of this absence of truth, The people will then welcome with open arms this person called the Antichrist. The second thing that we see is the Antichrist runs or comes to power. This man of sin or Antichrist is revealed. And in verse three, Paul introduces this man of sin, which is another name for Antichrist. And the Antichrist is important. It's just that he's Antichrist. Antithesis is this idea, the opposite of. Jesus is humble and respectable. The Antichrist is proud and lawless. The source of Jesus' power is God the Father. The source of the Antichrist's power is Satan himself. The next thing that we see as this man rises to power is we see this event called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. Verse four shows that because that, that 
that, that this antichrist in his arrogance and pride, look what it says in verse four, he will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Now this is important here because this event takes place in the, in the, in the Jewish temple of God. This is really, really important that you understand. The first temple was originally built by King Solomon then it was destroyed and it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel after the Jews returned from ca- ca- captivity, right? And it always serves as the presence, the tangible place of God's presence. You might remember the Romans destroyed the second temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel in 70, verse a, 70 AD. Jesus actually prophesied of this destruction of the temple. Well, the Bible says here that there's going to be a third temple. In other words, it's going to be rebuilt again in Jerusalem by the Jewish people, and it's here in this third temple, halfway through, three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go to this temple, sit in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat, and he's going to proclaim himself as God. This is what the books of Daniel and the book of Revelation call the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation is where the Antichrist assumes God's seat in the center of the third temple that the Jewish people will rebuild in Jerusalem. So that leads us to the obvious question. We've learned three things that are going to happen. He lays them out for us. By the way, they're confirmed and supported in other places in Scripture. By the way, you always interpret Scripture with Scripture. That's very important. All right, so we see this backed up. God repeats himself in Daniel and in Revelation, a couple other places actually as well. But then this next question is, are we in the tribulation? And this is really the heart of what the Thessalonians were asking the Apostle Paul. Did we get left behind? Right now, we're seeing all of this evil and destruction. Like, are we right now in the tribulation? Look what Paul writes to the church as they're scared and they're wondering if they miss Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 says, And you know what is holding him back? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. It's interesting because Paul's writing to them going, Hey guys, I already told you what's holding back this from happening. It's like he assumes that they already know it. So what is holding back the Antichrist? What's preempting this falling away? What's preempting the the, the Antichrist from coming to power? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to answer it just like Paul answers it. It's the church, the word, and the Holy Spirit. When the church is raptured, there will, be no, there will no longer be any obstacle left on earth. When the church is raptured, the Antichrist moves in powerfully, yet deceptively. After the rapture, there's world chaos. Can you imagine right now, and I've studied this, when you study throughout history the impact of the local church through different times in history, it has been a central focus point for the last 2,100 years in everything from caring for the poorest among us, we have to, to medicine, the best hospitals, to all the people who, are, who they show up and they say, you know what, I'm here to serve, I'm here to love. Now imagine all of those people disappear from the earth in one day. Now imagine the chaos that would ensue. Now imagine there'd be nothing left holding back the evil in our world. There'd be a great falling away. There really are two kinds of, Two really kingdoms at work in the world today. Just two. There's just two. We have lots of issues, right? We have lots of speculations. We have lots of, lots of me and thems, okay? But in the scripture, it always talks about there's only, there's one war between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. The spirit of Christ and the spirit 
of Antichrist. You might remember Jesus didn't defend himself because he said what? My kingdom is not your kingdom to Pilate. Like I, I, I rule a kingdom you don't even know about. Listen, every issue you face is a war between these two kingdoms. Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to follow my own way? Am I going to walk in the Holy Spirit of God or am I going to walk in the spirit of Antichrist? And make no chance, make no, listen, the spirit of Antichrist is alive. It's anti to Christ. It's everything Jesus isn't. And it represents this other kingdom. My challenge to you today is the same challenge that Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica. Do the thoughts, intentions, and the inclinations of your heart honor God or glorify yourself? Are they Christ-centered or are they me-centered? Do we honor God with our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our resources, our times, and even our motives? Paul shares some central verses to the entire book in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. He says, but we are bound to, look at that, I love this, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through thankfulness through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he has called you by our gospel, look at this, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus. This is interesting here because Paul encourages the Thessalonians. Okay, listen, you didn't get left behind, but there's some things you need to do. There's some things you need to do while you're here that will make all the difference in your life. Here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to get riled up by everyone who has another conspiracy theory or another, another vain imagination about their ideas about when this might happen. You don't need to get uh, unsettled by, by all these opinions and these false teachers. But I'm going to give you some things because I know you need to do something. This is important too because God doesn't ever just say don't do something. He always says do this instead. This is this idea of replacement right? He always takes away something that we think we need to give us something better. That's always how he works. Why? Because he's a good father. He loves us. He cares about us. So Paul, right, as an under shepherd of Jesus to this young church, he tells the believers here to do three things in these scriptures. The first thing he says is live in the truth. Live in the truth. Did you know the average American home has 4.4 Bibles in their house? They have ac- we have access to God's word like never before seen in all of human history. There are brothers and sisters in China right now that are learning about Jesus, following God based on a few pages of scripture because it's outlawed in their nation. And yet we have on average 4.4 Bibles in the American home. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Just what Paul challenges them to do. Open the Bible. You know how you know God? Through his word. Jesus himself says, I am the word made flesh. You open this up, here's what happens. You start learning God's word and the Holy Spirit starts confirming things in you. You get to know the character of God. Nothing will give you peace like putting your heart and your trust in his word. The next thing he says is live in the spirit. Not only is the word available to us, but so is the spirit of God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, Jesus promised, I'm not gonna leave you by yourself. I'm gonna put my spirit in every single one of you. You no longer have to go to a temple to get it. It's going to reside with you everywhere you are. The Spirit is with us in the earth. He's in us as a believer, and he comes upon us to empower us to love, serve, and to share the good news about Jesus. We need to live in the Spirit. We know who God is. The Spirit empowers us. But finally, he says, you need to live in community. Did you know that you and I, we're better together? It's better to grow alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I can't emphasize this enough. If you have not gotten into a small group, get into a small group. If you have not gone through next steps, if you have not planted your feet in a local church family, you're missing community. And I'm going to tell you, when the storm comes and it gets tough, all right, the thing that Paul admonishes these young believers is don't ever forget the power of being together with other brothers and sisters. In other words, stay planted in the work I started, in the work Christ started in you, that I, that, that I was there and I planted and I, and I helped. Stay focused on the most important thing. Community is so powerful. I love what Paul says in verse 15 as we close. He says, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, he says, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you. Stand firm, don't grow weary, don't swerve and don't be dissuaded, don't be deceived, don't be moved away from the thing that matters the most. And that's the message about Jesus, the gospel that you first receive. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. I pray right now, God, against any fear, against any confusion. I thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back for us, that you love us, that you cherish us. I pray, God, as we continue to take steps to grow, Lord, we'll get to know you through your word. Father, that we'll walk in your spirit, that your Holy Spirit will calm our fears, will speak to us when we're confused, will confirm your word in your work in us, Father, I pray for every single person in here that's isolated, that they're not planted in spiritual family. I pray, God, they would get planted wherever they are in whatever circumstance of life they're in. We are better together. We weren't just born a child of God. We were born again into a family of God, placed in a family by God. We love you. We thank you. May everything we do this week bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. You can stay connected with us at vintage.church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. Here at Vintage, we believe that church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Harker Heights, Fort Hood area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service times, and plan your visit by checking out our website at vintage.church. We hope to see you soon.